Morning Liberty. Well, what's up, everybody? My name is Nate, and this is Good Morning Liberty. If this is your first day listening to the podcast, we need you to hit that subscribe button. Make sure you subscribe and download every single episode. When you subscribe, that's just going to send the episode right to your phone. You don't have to worry about coming back and getting it. We really appreciate that. By we, I mean myself and Charlie. Charlie is the co-host of this show, but he's gone. He is still in San Diego out gathering some clients for what is the main business that we do out of the office here. So I'm taking care of this today. So anyway, what I wanted to talk about today was something I wrote an article about that I released on the page earlier today on goodmorningliberty.us. But I was going through Reddit earlier this morning. I don't know why I was doing this, but I went ahead and clicked on the subreddit that had had to do with David Koch. Uh, many of you guys know David Koch, one of the Koch brothers, David and Charles. He died earlier this week. And as you might have guessed, a lot of people have been very happy about this. And I've seen a lot of funny tweets going around. You know, I can't, can't wait until the people who are happy about their political enemies dying are in control of healthcare. Yeah, that'll be great. But I read some particularly disturbing post on Reddit, which is, it's Reddit. I mean, what are you going to expect? But the thing is, I think what you get on there, since there's such uh, anonymity on Reddit, well, you can go on there and post anything you want to, because you can be whoever you want, and you can post what's really inside your mind. And I think we should keep websites like this open. I think any website where people can go and speak freely and say what's actually on their mind, I think that's good, even if you disagree with it. But what we don't need to do is uh, suppress these things or keep them hidden to where we don't know that it exists. I don't think that that's a good idea at all. It's good for us to be able to go on and look and see what these people are actually thinking. So I was going to read some of the Reddit posts having to do with uh, having to do with David Koch, and then we'll talk a little bit about whether or not it's immoral to be a billionaire business person, to make a lot of profit off of something, to die with a lot of money, to, uh, quote, hoard your wealth, unquote, which is not a, not a real thing. But we're going to talk about that here in just a minute. But here are some of these, here are some of these posts. So I'm going to start reading here and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll bleep out some of the words. I'll, uh, I'll censor them because they're obviously not, not all that clean. But let's see. Capitalism produced David Koch. It has and will produce plenty of people just like him. There are currently 2,208 billionaires in the world. That's 2,208 billionaires too many. Every billionaire is a policy failure. Nearly all of these people share Koch's political beliefs and immense power. So, obviously that person thinks that it's wrong to obtain a lot of money or to gather a lot of profit. Let's see. This person says, F that, him and his brother, should be he and his brother, are the epitome of the other depravity and evil of hoarded wealth. And no decent person is worse off for him being dead. I read this story last week, and the entire next few days, I had a eating grin on my face because I was alive, and this evil Effer was dead and would never stop being dead. All his money meant nothing in the face of mortality. 
Let's see. Uh, another one. <laughs> I don't think there's a God, but I can imagine that he would be that he would be kind to a spoiled brat who spent all his time trying to keep kids hungry. Okay, so that's what David Koch spent all his time doing, by the way. He was trying to keep kids hungry. And see, this person said, I think there's sweet justice in the fact that even someone this rich and evil will die. Imagine what it must be like for them to have all this power, money, and arrogance, only to realize at the end of it that nobody can cheat or bribe death. And then this person said, I hope so. So, what does all of this mean? What I wrote the article about today, because I was kind of, there's like 10 more of these screenshots I took, but we don't have to say all of them. You, I think you get the idea. Um, those are actually some of the cleaner ones that I put on there. The other ones are, they just keep getting worse. So what does all this mean? How, how do we, how did we get to the point where people have this much anger towards each other? How do we get to the point where people feel this way towards people who have more than they do? or the people that are wealthy. There's, you know, I, I will say, just just to clarify, I've seen a lot of really terrible things posted on right-wing websites as well. I've seen, a, I've seen a lot of bad things. There really are, and I will tell you, after starting this page, the Facebook page, Good Morning Liberty, I was actually opened up to just how terrible a lot of people on the right side of the aisle can be. So... I want to say that as a disclaimer, just to start off, both sides are guilty of furthering and fanning these flames of this political hatred between each other. But it's not just political hatred anymore. It, it really goes down to the core of you're happy when they die. And so I've been trying to figure out how it is that we got here, what exactly led to us getting to this point. Because I think we've seen for a long time, actually all throughout history, people have had anger towards those who have more than they did. Now, I understand some of it because sometimes those who have more than you do, well, they got that by exerting power and force over you and, and taking it from you without, without your permission, similar to what the government does on a daily basis. But some of those people, they actually did obtain all of that wealth in an immoral way, in an unjust and unfair way. But what about all the people, what about all the people who actually obtained that wealth through creating value in society? Because the problem is there's not really a distinction made between those two anymore. Now, there was a popular, it's a popular theory in Marxism, socialism, communism, that profit itself is just a surplus value that's charged to the consumer. It's, a, it's this theft on top of the price of a product. And that's pretty easy, I think, if you only think about one layer of things, if you never really can take down the irrational initial reaction that you have to things, if you can't get past that point, then I understand how you could have that idea. You think, oh, they charge this profit on top of that. If it wasn't for them then I would just be paying 15 cents for that Apple charger, but instead they're charging 30 bucks for it, and that's just a bunch of added, added profit on top of it. 
I've said this in one of our videos before, you know, that Apple charger that probably cost 15 cents. I don't know, maybe cost a dollar, something like that. If it weren't for profit, it, it's not that that thing wouldn't cost $30, it would cost a dollar. It's that that thing wouldn't exist, first off, in the first place. But then again, it might still be $30, or it might be 60 or it might be 100 Because what people don't understand about profit is that profit actually saves you money. And I know that that's, I know that that's a really, really foreign and difficult concept for people who don't just sit around reading economics books in their spare time. I, I, I get that because your initial reaction is that's just an added value on top of the cost of whatever product I was, I was buying. But what people don't understand is that that profit, the idea that you can create something and that you could actually keep something for yourself after you sell that to someone, that idea, that profit, actually drives down the material cost of whatever that product is. See, in the, in the Soviet Union, profit was illegal. They, they weren't, there wasn't allowed to be any kind of profit on top of any products. And what they found was that not only could they not have enough food, they couldn't grow enough food for people, if there was a car made in the Soviet Union, the base cost of it, the cost at the end of the, the time the car was created was still three times more than what it would have cost you to buy a car in the U.S. So just that simple fact right there, that when they removed profit from the equation, when it was no longer something that could be considered, that what actually happened was that they had food shortages, they had massive surpluses and other things because they were just issuing government orders on products all the time. They had massive surpluses on things they didn't need. They had shortages of things that they actually needed. And when they would actually finish producing something, it ended up costing more than it cost in a country where you were allowed to keep profit. So why is that? That's a pretty, that's a pretty weird thing, but it's a, it's a pretty important thing to think about. If you put yourself in the mindset of someone who's producing something, I like to go back to, I like to go back to Henry Ford. You think about Henry Ford, and, and we all, I remember in my history books anyway, we all read about the origins of the assembly line, which was something that Henry Ford innovated. See, a car, an automobile, he didn't invent the automobile. Henry Ford did not. The automobile was invented, uh, I believe it was invented in Germany or one of the Scandinavian countries in the 1870s, 1880s, something like that. The automobile had already been invented for 20, 30 years at that point in time. The thing was, it cost so much to get all of those materials and put them together that no one could ever afford to buy an automobile. It would have been laughable to think that even a middle-class person could get an automobile, let alone a lower, a lower economic class person. So what Henry Ford did... And this wasn't just out of the goodness of his heart, by the way, because there were a lot of good people that came before him and after him, and they, it, and they weren't doing this. What, what he saw was that this is something that people could use. This was a massively revolutionary product that would change the world, and he needed to find a way to make it cheaper. 
he needed to find a way to make the process of putting it together more affordable and more efficient. So what was it that was driving him to do that? Was it just because he was a good person? Because he wanted to sell a whole bunch of automobiles at an even cost where he recouped no money at the end of the day? No. He wanted to make a lot of money. And whether or not you want to look at that as a good or a bad thing, that doesn't matter. What does matter is the end result of that. And the end result of that was that the price of putting together an automobile eventually got so cheap that even the lowest class among us was able to afford some type of automobile. And the only reason that that happened was because Henry Ford was trying to make a profit. Because you think about all the, just think about the materials that go into an automobile. And I'll use round numbers that obviously don't apply to that, to that time period, but just think about all the materials that need to go into an automobile and just, just say that when you gathered all that and the time putting together all those raw materials and they're all together and really there's a base, there's a base cost of $3,000 to put together that car. But what you found is really people, they won't pay or they can't pay more than $1,000 for it. So what happens in a country that doesn't allow any profit is that that $3,000 car just sits there and only the richest people in the society can ever afford it, and no one else gets anything. But then what happens in a country where there is profit allowed, you get someone that will come along and say, okay, it costs $3,000 to put this together. Why don't we just make that a whole lot more efficient, a whole lot cheaper, and find a way to get the cost down to something that everyone can afford? Because if I can get the freaking cost of it down to $990, then when I sell a million of these things, I'm going to be filthy rich. So what they do is they look at all the, the different ways that they, they uh, procure those materials, all the different raw materials for it. What are all the different processes that those go through to, to be brought to a factory? What's the processes inside of the factory? Is there any way that we can make this more efficient at all? And what you would eventually do is... Because you want to make some money, you take what used to have a base cost of $3,000 when no one was trying to make a profit off of it, and you lowered the base cost of it down to $990 because everyone could afford $1,000. And now you can make some money, but guess what? Other people can have a car other than just people who were filthy rich to begin with. That's what you've seen in these countries where they either do not allow profit, where the cars cost three times as much in the Soviet Union, where they couldn't get the farmers because you didn't own your own land, really. You were working on a community land. You weren't allowed to keep any more money than anyone else is going to make. So what they found on the farms in the Soviet Union was when people actually owned their own land and they could keep a little bit extra for themselves, they took better care of their land. What they found in the Soviet Union when they just started paying people for the amount of acres that they, that they were cultivating and planting, they didn't call it acres, but I'll say acres because that's what we have here. What they found when, when they would just pay people for the amount of acres that they worked, well, what they would do is, yeah, right next to the road where the, where the guy was going to go check, you would do everything really properly. But then what they found was towards the middle of the field, well, you go ahead and lift your lift your planter or lift your 
lift your plow up just a little bit so you could drive faster through the field, so you could get more acres planted. Because you didn't care. You weren't going to make anything extra whether or not the field did good or not. You're just getting paid for your time. So then they found that they weren't able to grow enough food, and that was purely because they weren't allowing people to own their own land and reap some of the benefits off of their own land. So once again, what, what matters is not whether or not that was an evil motive behind the people, because if you would have let them keep their own, then they would have done a better job, and that obviously means they weren't doing things for the betterment of society, so they're evil. None of that matters. What actually matters is the end result at the end of that. The end result was that in a nonprofit system, they did not produce enough food for people to not starve to death. And in a profit system, everyone's getting freaking fat all the time. That's the difference. That's what matters. So whenever we take these people who have made a lot of profit and we demonize them because they made a lot of profit, you have to ask yourself what you're demonizing. Would you feel better if we outlawed profit and then half of our country starved to death? Would you feel better if we couldn't make enough houses for everyone? Or if more people lived without any power? Or if cars were so expensive that only the richest among us could drive them? Would that make you feel better? Because then at least there weren't any billionaires. Because that seems like the land that all of these people want to live in. I'll take another really good example. Look at SpaceX and NASA. I've said this example a few times, but I don't know if I spoke too much about the profit motive behind it. Look at what NASA was doing for almost 70 years. They were putting rockets up into space, and when that rocket would dump its payload, the freaking thing would just drop back down into the ocean and become ocean trash after that. And then when they needed to send something else up into space, they'd have to make another rocket. And then they would do the same thing over and over again. The best cost they could ever get that reduced down to was about $600 million dollars per time that they had to send something up in the space. $600 million in a nonprofit system where everyone were just perfect angels and working for the betterment of society. Yeah, they were able to send stuff in the space. But then you get SpaceX that comes along and they say, hey, I think we could make a lot of money if people would just pay us to take stuff in the space. So what do they do? Do they just make a new rocket and then they just let it dump back into the ocean and then they start building a new rocket? Is that what they did? No. Elon Musk, he's looking to make money. So they developed the technology and put in the investment to where they could send the rocket up into space, drop off the payload, and then fly the freaking thing back down to the launch pad so they could reuse it. So they could save money. So they could make more money on the back end. And then not only that, what they were like, uh, they were like, oh, well, that's cool. It can go back to the launch pad. But you know what? It sure does, take a, it sure does take a heck of a lot of rocket fuel to fly that rocket all the way back to the launch pad. Uh, how about we just put a, hey, got, hey guys, I got, a, I got an idea. I got a, Elon Musk was uh, high on Ambien one day. He comes into the office and goes, hey, I got an idea. What if we, 
instead of, you guys listen to me, instead of taking the rocket and letting it go back down to the launch pad, why don't we land it and just let it go straight down to a boat? And we'll name that boat, Of Course I Still Love You. It's the name of the boat, pretty sure. So they make a drone boat because God knows you don't want to pay someone out there on the freaking boat. No, they make a drone boat to go out there because when the, lo- when the rocket goes up, it goes up at an arc, plus the earth is spinning. So by the time it releases the payload, it's not just sitting there directly over the launch pad anymore. It's over the ocean somewhere. So they can save a lot of money if they can just have the rocket come straight down, straight down to the boat because boat fuel is cheaper to go back to that launch pad than the rocket fuel would have been. Now, the important part of that is that while NASA was putting satellites up in the space, it would cost $600 million to put something in the space under your perfect little angel socialist utopian NASA space project to put it up there in the space. With SpaceX, $60 million. $60 million. Now that's important for everyone because every single one of you guys listening to this today is listening to it on a device that depends on there being satellites up in space. Every single one of you. And the cost of everything that you do on that device or on the multiple devices that you use on a daily basis is determined in part one of the costs involved in that was how much money it cost them to put the satellite up in the space to make that thing work. So when your perfect socialist utopia land where no one was making any profit off of the space program, it cost 10 times more money to put things in the space. And there wasn't any profit. 10 times the cost. And there wasn't any profit. Now... Eventually, down the road, SpaceX going to be making a ton of money off of sending things in the space, and it's still going to be cheaper than it used to be when NASA was doing it for a nonprofit. So you'll have to excuse me because I get kind of upset when I see these people posting about how these people hoarding their wealth or these evil billionaires need to be dead. That however many billionaires there are, that's how many too many billionaires there are. As if it would all be better if we were just living in Djibouti, Africa together where there aren't any billionaires. That would be a lot better, wouldn't it? Then you wouldn't have anyone to be mad at. So, what do we do about this? And on the wealth hoarding thing, I can't believe people still say this wealth hoarding thing. What does that mean? I mean, Milton Friedman was out there debunking this thing in the 70s. Wealth hoarding? What does that mean? What do you think wealthy people do with their money? Is it sitting under their mattress in their house? No. Is it in their basement somewhere? Maybe? No. Well, what are they doing with it then? Oh, that's right. They're investing in new technologies and new industries helping make things like that SpaceX program that decrease the cost of a satellite by tenfold. 
They put it in a bank. If they're not investing it, they put it in a bank. When you go to buy a house, do you write the person who owns the house? Do you write the builder? Do you write the the lender? Sorry, the leasing agent? Do you write that person a check for $200,000? Is that what you do? You go up to them and say, oh, hey, well, I've got about $200,000 in my bank account, and I would like to buy this house. Here, let me wire you $200,000. Is that what you do? No. That's not what you do, because you don't have $200,000. You don't. More than likely. If you do, you're probably not listening to me right now. You don't have $200,000. The bank buys the house for you because you didn't have the money. So the bank buys it for you. And then you pay the bank back because they were nice enough to trust you and go buy you a house for you to live in. All these people that say, oh, well, you just, oh, the bank owns your, the, you know, just all these banks ruining everything. Really? When's the last time you went up and bought a car with cash? Do you know anyone in your family that went up and bought a house with cash money because they had the money? No, probably not. What happened was some evil, greedy, wealthy, 1% wealth hoarder put their money in the bank and then the bank used that money to buy you a house. That's what happened. So this whole idea that profit is evil and these rich people having their money in the bank is evil, all these things, we need them all to die. Okay. We'll see how that worked for all the people in the Soviet Union when they outlawed profit. See how it worked in early Soviet Russia in the 1920s when they exterminated all of the kulaks. I talk about the kulaks a lot on this show. It's a really important point. That was the term for someone who made money off of someone else's labor. If you earned non-labor income, meaning it was investment income, if you rented out machinery, anything that had a motor on it, or if you had employees at all, then you were a kulak at first. That's what they called the farmers because most of the wealthy people were farmers because it was the early 1900s and that's what the industry was at that point in time. Eventually, they had to expand that term out to mean anyone who earned any kind of money off of anyone else's labor. That's what a kulak was eventually by 1929. So what happened? Lenin was able to make sure that everyone knew that if you were in a bad situation that it was actually the fault of the wealthy people in our society. That's what they did. Vladimir Lenin called them all bloodsuckers, made the people hate them. He made the people hate them so much that the people in the neighborhoods and the towns actually rose up and were hanging the wealthy people in the streets because they were the cause of all of their problems. And then Stalin got in power, and that went a lot worse. He took it to its logical conclusion. Eventually what happened, 1.3 million kulaks were killed. 1.3 million of the wealthy people in their society were killed. You know what happened next? Well, they all just lived together in the perfect socialist utopia and everyone was equal and everyone was happy after that. Happy story. Happy ending. 
Nope. Nope. Six million people starved to death in a famine immediately afterwards because they killed the people that were good at growing food. That's what happened. So you'll have to excuse me when I get a little bit upset when I hear people talking about things like this. Drives me absolutely nuts because we've seen this in history already. We've already seen what happens from this. Everyone thinks it's going to be different all the time. Oh, it's just because Stalin was a bad person. Oh, it's just because Hitler was a bad person. Who did Hitler make everyone hate, by the way? Who did he make everyone hate? Everyone's got this idea that we learned in our public schools that it was all born out of racism. Hitler made everyone hate because their society was in such shambles from their printing of money, so much so that they had a 460 billion percent inflation rate in three years. Their economy was in such shambles that people were upset. Hitler said that we had been betrayed by an enemy within. He got everyone to hate all of the bankers, all of the doctors, all the people that owned businesses, all the shop owners. Most of them were Jewish. It was not because they hated Judaism or they just decided they were going to hate Jews. It's because the Jews were the ones that were the most wealthy in their society. They were the ones that were doing better than everyone else. You guys all know how that went. So I don't mean to get on here and just fearmonger and say, oh, look, we're going to go back into Hitler Germany or anything like that. I don't think it'll get that bad because I don't think the people in Germany or in Russia knew exactly how bad it was getting at that point in time. We at least have TV and the news media and social media right now to where I don't think it would be possible for those kind of things to happen anymore. So I'm not saying that that's where we're going, but that is where that mentality led to. That's what we're talking about here. I'm not saying that we're going to start hanging wealthy people in the streets. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this mentality, this very mentality of hating the people who had money when you didn't and blaming them for all of your problems, that this mentality has always existed. And this mentality has played itself out in a lot of different societies in the same way every single time. It's playing itself out in Venezuela right now. Not really hearing much about that in the news anymore. I wonder why. I wonder why we're not hearing about that anymore. So what do we do about this? Because people are filled with hate. They're filled with anger towards those who have more than them. And then people on the right side of the aisle are filled with hate for all sorts of other irrational reasons. They're filled with hate because immigrants are here. Yeah, that's a real great free market ideology. It, I, could, I could say one thing about immigration. I don't think people would be so mad about it if we didn't have the welfare state. If it was impossible for you to come here and live off of my money while you were not putting into the system, I don't think that many people would be upset about it. You're upset because they're undercutting your wages somehow? But guess what? It's not their fault. It's the government's fault for setting stupid minimum wage laws. Them under undercutting your wages is called the free market. 
That's what that is. It's the government's fault that you can't work for less than them. Not theirs. But anyway, what do we do about this? What do we do? We all have to find a way to live on this piece of dirt and not go to a war with each other, right? I think the only thing that we can really do, I think there's a guy that's actually got an answer for this, to tell you the truth, and it's a difficult answer because it's a difficult problem. We have to look at what's at the root cause of the problem. I think at the end of the day, it really comes down to personal responsibility. That's why we talk about it so much on this program. Now, us talking about personal responsibility does not mean that myself or Charlie are perfect and that we just, we just act out perfect personal responsibility at all times. But what it does mean is that when we mess up, we don't just look around for people to blame for the situation that we're in. I've been in a rough financial situation for a long time. A, a long time. Uh, grew up pretty poor. Uh, went to college. I still have a bunch of student loans. I did not get a degree. Traveled playing music for a long time. Did pretty okay with that, but really not. Never got, never got ahead ever. Then just had to live, uh, working, driving for Uber. Uh, my wife was donating plasma. My best friend Charlie here was donating plasma a couple times a week. I would drive for a little bit for Uber. I would wait some tables. And I would have a negative bank account balance a couple times a month. Probably paid, probably paid several hundred dollars a year in fees to the banks for overdraft fees. So it hasn't been particularly easy. Now, I could have looked and just been really upset and really angry and been looking for someone to blame. That's not going to fix anything doesn't fix anything at all. That's like the worst situation that you can be in at that point in time. If you're in a bad situation and then you're just looking at other people and blaming them, I'm, I feel sorry for you because that means you have no control whatsoever. And I refuse to be that way. If I'm in a bad situation, then there was some decision that I made at some point in time that led me on that path. doesn't matter where you are right now, you are a product of all of your past decisions. And that does not mean that everything is your fault or that some of the bad things that happened to you in your life that you could have changed. But you are still in control of how you react to those situations. And if you are, if you do find yourself in a bad situation, you're in control of what you do after that. Even if it's pretty tough. So if you're in a bad situation, if you're in a bunch of debt, if you're in a bunch of college debt, who are you going to look around and blame? That's a bad situation because it's a, it's a really bad mentality to have because you're powerless. That's why these people are so hateful. That's why they want people to die. It's because they feel powerless. It's because when you look to other people to fix your life for you, or you look to other people and blame them for the situation that you're in, you're powerless. And that will lead to you being hateful and lead to violence eventually. And that's why I believe in taking personal responsibility in all my actions, even if they weren't my fault. Or even if I'm in a bad situation, it's up to me to get out of it, which I have been able to do. But that's just because I had that mentality. I could have just been down in the, down in the ditch crying about my life for a while, 
blaming other people, hating people who have more than I did. And guess where I would have been at the end of the day? Still would have been in a ditch, crying about my life, blaming other people who have more than I did. It doesn't get you anywhere. So the only option, the, the only option that has the chance of things getting better is if you take some kind of responsibility, even if it wasn't your fault, you take the responsibility for making the situation better in whatever way you can. You say, what are the little decisions I made that led me to right here? Okay, was there anything I could have made a better decision? If I would have been a more honest person, if I wouldn't have lied, if I, if I would have just been a truthful person all the time, if I, if I would have made all the right decisions or tried to make a better decision or not procrastinated on something, then would I be exactly where I am right now? Most of the time, it's probably a no. Most of the time. It's not a prescription for having a perfect society but it would make a lot of things a lot better. A lot of this comes from a guy named Jordan Peterson, Dr. Jordan Peterson. He's got a really great book called 12 Rules for Life. Really important book. If you have not read that book, I highly recommend it. He's a uh, clinical psychologist and um, you know, he's gotten famous for some controversial things in, in Canada. He's, he's from Canada. But anyway, really, really great talks on personal responsibility. I'm actually going to play one. This is like a minute long here. Let's see. But how do you give a personal responsibility message while taking account that for some people it's harder to take personal responsibility and the deck is stacked against them? Well, I think the deck is stacked against everyone to some degree because life is very difficult and we all die. So, but people, some people do have it harder than others. And, and all of us have it very hard at some times in our lives. It's like, well, what's the, what's the alternative? You take responsibility for that and try to struggle uphill because the alternative makes everything worse. It's not like it's fair. I know perfectly well that people have brutal lives. I've been a psychotherapist for 20 years. I've seen things you can't imagine, horror shows that you can't fathom, and people who have been hurt in so many ways, so many dimensions. It's like, bitter? Should they be bitter? Should they be resentful? Should they become violent? These things don't help. They have to struggle uphill despite their excess burden. And it's, it's responsibility, not guilt. You know, it's not necessarily their fault. That's not the point. So that's the kind of stuff that he says all the time. I highly re recommend you just go to YouTube and look up Jordan Peterson. You'll probably come back about 10 hours later and, and thank me for sending you that direction. I'll put a link to that video in the show notes for the page. But this idea that we all have some kind of terrible situation, even if you're someone who's at the top, even if you're a billionaire, you guys don't know the situations that person's had to go through. Plus, just like we see in the case of David Koch, all the money in the world was not enough to keep you from dying. So we all still have to deal with that. I actually think there's a pretty interesting thing to think about. If you were a 20-year-old, completely broke, no money, just in the worst condition, and you went to an 85-year-old billionaire who had every single thing that anyone could ever want or ever need and you said hey would you like to swap positions with me the 85 year old billionaire would say yes 100% of the time because even if you're broke even if you're hungry if you're young right now then you've got the most valuable asset in the entire world which is time 
It's more valuable than anything. So sitting here being upset with old people who have a lot of money suggests that what, you'd rather be old and have a lot of money? No, they'd rather be where you are. They can't trade that with you. They can't get younger, but you can get rich. Or you can live a better life or you can live a comfortable life if you want to. They don't have any option. They don't have any option to put themselves into your situation because they could never get they could never be your age again but you have the option to be in their position at some point in time if you decide to stop being mad at everyone and blaming everyone who has more than you do and take a little bit of responsibility and make your life better than it is right now so that's really all I'm going to leave with that today what I will say is We all need to watch what we say online, how we talk to people online. I'm guilty of it too when I'm posting things that I know are going to make people mad online. I know it's going to make the other side look bad, you know, fanning some of those flames. You do it sometimes because you're trying to get likes or trying to get shares. Everyone's guilty of it. But we all need to be careful because this could get a lot worse. It could get a whole lot worse than what it is right now there could actually be a whole lot more violence. So what we need to do is talk to people. When we talk to them online, talk to them in a manner that says that you don't wish that they were dead. Talk to them in a way that says the two of you could be in the same building with each other and not want to blow the place up because the other one was in there. Talk to them like you were talking to them in person. The way we talk to people online is completely different than how we all talk to people in person. Most of us. Especially me, because I don't talk to people in person. Because I'm not good at talking to people. So when you go out there and talk to someone, you have some kind of debate about whatever the policy is. Even if it's abortion. Even something terrible where... You're arguing with someone about abortion, or you're talking about people about uh, the 1% having too much money, or you're talking about gun violence, any of that stuff. Talk to them in a manner that has the two of you still being able to exist together in the same country and not kill each other, because that should be the goal. That really should be the goal for all of us. And if your goal is that, if your goal is actually for them to come over to your way of thinking then you need to conduct the conversation in a way that's going to make that possible. Have you ever had, have you ever tried to have an argument with someone that you were close to? Picture different ways that you could start an argument. If you go, if you go up to your wife and you say, you, you know, just think you want, you want her to think differently on something, whatever it is. You want her to think differently on something. You go up to her and say, you're an idiot, and everyone who believes what you believe is a complete idiot and is destroying the country, and I hate you, and you're one of the dumbest people I've ever met in my life. Let me talk to you about my beliefs. That's not going to go very well. You know it's not going to go very well. You're going to be sleeping on the couch. You know it. But if you go up to that person and say, hey, Probably you believe this, and that doesn't mean that you want our society to be destroyed. 
It doesn't mean that you want people to starve to death. It means that this is actually it means that this is actually what you believe is the best thing for the most amount of people on the, in the world. Cuz that's what these people believe. They they don't all just want a bunch of people to starve to death. They believe this way because they think it's the best way to hope to, to help the most amount of people. So talk to them as if that were the case. Because it probably is the case. Beneath all the hatred and all the anger and all the catchy comebacks and, and witty comments, it's probably the case that the person you're talking to does not want 100 million people to starve to death. It's probably the case. So talk to them as if that were the truth. Because you guys actually agree on something in the fact that you both want to create an environment where the most amount of people can flourish and have better lives. You guys agree on that, actually. Most of the time. So conduct the conversation in that manner because you guys have to come to some type of an agreement. Because if you don't, this is going to get a lot worse. So, guys, go follow us on Instagram. It's at Good Morning Liberty. Go to Twitter, at GoodAMLiberty. Find us on Facebook, Good Morning Liberty. Go to GoodMorningLiberty.us for some great articles on politics and economics. If you guys want to get a t-shirt that says, Shall Not Be Infringed, or a t-shirt that says, Taxation is Theft, then you can go over to GoodMorningLiberty.us slash shop, and that will take you to our Etsy shop, and then you can grab yourself a nice t-shirt, support the program so we can run more advertisements and get some more listeners and bring this message to more people. Sorry I was a little bit serious and upset today, guys. But this is upsetting. (laughs) I'll try to be in a better mood tomorrow. I'll try to sound a whole lot more happy, I promise. So anyway, if you guys do all those things, then we'll be right back here tomorrow. Until then, have a good day and a good morning, Liberty.